This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Do you want to get smart about your investments? I'm Martin Strong, and coming up, we'll talk to the organizer of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, two days at the Vancouver Convention Center, January 29th and 30th, being called the Ultimate Financial Masterclass. Hundreds of speakers and experts talking about the new issues that face our world and how investors can stay ahead of the trends. We'll talk to Jay Martin about the VRIC, but first... Here's what's going on in consumer news this past week. We're allowed to go into a bar or a restaurant and publicly consume alcohol. So what about cannabis? Will we be seeing new lounges and cafes set up for cannabis here in B.C.? Well, don't hold your breath just yet. The B.C. government says surveys testing public support for the creation of so-called cannabis consumption spaces is mixed. Probably the first step is to get rid of the phrase cannabis consumption space. Sounds a little clinical, but they're talking about cannabis cafes, much like they have in places like Holland. The report produced by the Ministry of Public Safety to inform a decision on consumption spaces shows most respondents who use cannabis like the idea, while there's opposition among those who don't use it. It shows public health and safety stakeholders expressed a lot of concern that both cannabis and alcohol might be purchased and consumed at the same locations. And one thing that's worth noting is that they're not talking about smoking or vaping the weed. That would not be permitted indoors. So I guess it kind of defeats much of the purpose right there. And from cannabis, we move to magic mushrooms. Some advocates are calling on the federal government to register psilocybin, the stuff found in the magic mushrooms, which could lead to it being more available to Canadians for medical use. Thomas Hartle was among the first Canadians to get a federal exemption to use the psychoactive compound found in mushrooms, psilocybin, to treat symptoms of his stage four colon cancer. Many advocates believe that psilocybin could also have a positive impact when it comes to treating things like depression and even PTSD. Hartle and some others have filed a legal challenge that calls on the federal government to regulate psilocybin so that patients seeking it out for medical use can do it legally. It was a horrible Christmas season for air travel across North America, and this past Wednesday was another mess. Thousands of delays based in the U.S., After a computer outage with concerns it may have been caused by a cyber attack, the FAA ordered all U.S. flights to delay departures until 9 a.m. on Wednesday, though airlines said they were aware of the situation and already had begun grounding flights. It caused chaos. Uh, As of uh, about 8.30 Eastern time, there was more than 3,700 delayed flights within, into, or out of the United States. And the White House later said there was no evidence of a cyber attack. However, uh, they've directed a Department of Transportation investigation to look into it. Looks like Teslas are getting much cheaper with its sales showing... uh, slowing rather, and its stock price tumbling, Tesla has dramatically slashed prices on several versions of these electric vehicles. And that makes some of its models eligible for a new federal tax credit in the U.S., which gets the sales going, hopefully. Uh, The company has dropped prices nearly 20% 
on some versions of the Model Y SUV. That's one of Tesla's top sellers. It also reduced the base price of the Model 3. That's the cheapest one by about 6%. You've probably noticed the rising cost of eggs at the supermarket. And because of the lingering bird flu outbreak and soaring feed, fuel, and labor costs, new report in the past week in the U.S. has shown the prices of eggs has actually doubled in the past year. Uh, Geico, the insurance company, is off the hook from paying $5.2 million to a woman who says she contracted a sexually transmitted disease. The reason Geico is involved in this lawsuit is because she got the sexually transmitted disease uh, having relations in a car that Geico insured. The Missouri Supreme Court on Tuesday ruled unanimously to overturn a lower court's ruling that said the woman should get some money from the insurance company. Instead, the state Supreme Court judged that Geico should have had a chance to weigh in sooner, and they sent the the case back to the lower court. A woman identified in court records as M.O., alleged that a man she was in a relationship with did not tell her before they had sex in his car that he had HPV, the human papillomavirus. Wow, that would be a very inclusive insurance policy. I guess he had Roadstar coverage. Uh, This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And when it comes to investments, how would you like to bomb-proof your portfolio? ready for whatever the world has in store for us. When we come back, we'll talk to Jay Martin about the Vancouver uh, Convention Center's Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. It's coming up, and we'll talk about it when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong, and things sure feel different when it comes to investing these days. After years of stock market highs, record low interest rates, things seem to be going in kind of the opposite direction. Inflation is a fact of life. Technology is moving at a lightning pace. So what does this mean for our investments? Well, coming up this month, January 29th and 30th, is a very special conference dealing with just that. It's the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference at the Vancouver Convention Center with more than 100 financial keynote speakers. The VRIC is Canada's largest mining investment conference, 6,000 investors gathering for two days to hear from world-renowned investors on how to make money investing in commodities. And with me now is the host of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. He's the CEO of Cambridge House. You may have seen him on his YouTube channel. Jay Martin is here. Happy New Year, Jay. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks so much for having me on. Excellent. Well, uh, I mean, let's just quickly get to the big picture of the conference. Um, it's sometimes called the ultimate financial master class. So this is uh, pretty much good for anybody who just wants to learn about uh, things to invest in and, and, and look to the future. I guess that's as simple as that. Yeah, you know, we, we fly in over 100 keynote speakers with the intention of covering as many bases as possible. And we always start with as many of the major macro headlines 
that we feel and that our keynote speakers feel are significant. And this year, there's no shortage. It seems no matter which direction you look, locally or globally, uh, chaos abounds. And we are entering some kind of new world order um, on the heels of a very real energy crisis, which is going to point to a very real food crisis. We're staring at quite severe currency wars that are heating up globally and, uh, and obviously a hot war in Europe. Um, all of these things factor into the direction of capital, meaning which direction money will flow. And if I were to make any kind of prediction about how the balance of this decade will be, I would expect it to be how the beginning of the decade has been, which has been sort of a trajectory of unprecedented and unpredictable chaos and volatility. And for, for better or for worse, I feel like that party is probably just getting started. And I'm not a doom and gloom pundit. I want to make that super clear. I'm very long human ingenuity. Um, but often there's bumps along the road, and I feel like the 2020s, will be a decade of bumps. Right. <laughs> well, we're talking to Jay Martin. He's the host of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference at the Vancouver Convention Center. You can go to Eventbrite or just go to cambridgehouse.com, Google V-R-I-C, uh, if you want some ticket information. And Jay, you talked about my, uh, macro headlines. Um, let's kind of get into that. I mean, obviously, as you just pointed out, there's a lot of different factors that are going into this, what you call the new world order and what's going to really dictate where the money goes to in terms of investments. And people want to know, well, I want to be there. I want to go there. I mean, is there one story that you think is above all else or or are there a lot of like you say, sort of macro headlines, but what, what's the big story that you think is going to affect people and their investments uh, going forward? Well, yeah, I think you can summarize to a degree. And I would say that for my entire life thus far, we've operated globally in some semblance of trust. Whether that's been a fragile trust, it's been enough to allow for globalization to occur at a rapid pace for companies and industries to take their demands to market, meaning American companies can take their labor uh, to market and uh, hire from China and Mexico. They can take their energy demand to market and purchase from Saudi Arabia or Russia or wherever um, they can achieve the, the best gains. And that trust is being shattered now and we're seeing this in the form of deglobalization or the repatriation of industries and this is a consequence of the list of items we discussed earlier the energy crisis or it's causing these the energy crisis the food crisis the currency wars etc now the significance of this is that whenever there's uncertainty or expected volatility investors tend to look towards safe haven asset classes. When things are good, when prices are going up, when we can rely that next year will be similar to how last year was, you can invest in, in growth, you can invest in innovation, you can gamble on uh, conceptual ideas. And we've seen this bull market just take off, right? Uh, led by the FANG stocks, for example, but it's largely been a growth market in terms of where to find capital gains and returns. Um, 
where to seek yield, et cetera. Now, what we're seeing today is a bit of a rotation in where allocators of capital are looking to store their wealth. And this starts, I would say, at the very top with the central banks. Every central bank in the world has their currency reserves where they keep their savings, so to speak. And central bank purchases of actually physical gold has been occurring over the last year at a rate faster than it has in the previous 50 years. And we're setting records of physical gold being purchased by central banks. And the next in line in terms of following the money, so to speak, is the institutional investors. And we're seeing the same thing. I interview three money managers every week on my podcast with the sole intention of determining where is money going next? Because I'm a retail investor. I'm just looking for opportunities myself. And if I can spot an avalanche of capital moving one direction, I want to put myself in front of it. And what we're seeing with the institutional money is very similar. Uh, Funds that historically have no exposure to gold, no use for gold. Maybe they follow Warren Buffett's thesis that gold is just a pet rock, so to speak. Uh, They're shifting their psychology uh, towards that asset class. And for no other reason than historically, it's a safe, honestly boring. And that's what a safe haven asset class should be is relatively boring. It shouldn't do much except protect wealth. But they're all increasing their allocation to gold. And so the investor in me looks at this and I'm like, okay, well, if central banks are buying at a record pace, if institutions are buying at a record pace, collectively, that's an avalanche of money. And I want to put myself in front of it. And so that's why at this event in January, we're hyper focused on the metals industry Uh, for a variety of reasons. That's just one. But it's a very important one. Right. And what does that mean for the U.S. dollar? Because if it, it, it is it a question of the U.S. dollar versus gold? Do you think the U.S. dollar will continue to kind of be the world's currency or, or do you think that's going to change? I, I do believe. Yeah, I'm very bullish on America in general. Um, I think you have to look at the net asset value of any country. And when you look at a country like the USA, you can't just look at um you know, the, its ability to leverage the world currency. You have to look at the power of its military, the intelligence of its education systems, um, its exports, its industry. There's a, lot, there's a lot of reasons to think that America might be going through a tough decade alongside the rest of the world, by the way. But I'm very long America. And if you look at the U.S. dollar index over the last 18 months, that's evidence of that. When volatility breaks out, people still flock to the U.S. dollar as the first choice for a safe haven. It's historically, you know, um, it's recently historically been the safest haven for wealth protection. But like any asset class, it can become overcrowded. And when the whole world is buying U.S. treasuries, collecting U.S. dollars in order to protect themselves from volatility, Eventually, you know, a bubble can form in anything. And if you look at the U.S. dollar chart, that's exactly what happened. And as a consequence, as of November last year, people started being net sellers of U.S. dollars. And the question you want to ask is, okay, it makes sense because if you jump on a ship for safety, but suddenly the ship is so overcrowded, it no longer feels safe. Where do you go next? You look for the next best option that can provide you the same utility that you were looking for in U.S. dollars, which is safe haven status. And investors will look towards real estate, they'll look towards potentially bonds, and they'll look towards gold. And the bond market has not performed as investors thought it would, and, and historically as it should, in terms of that safe haven asset class. The real estate market's looking a bit vulnerable. I mean, here in Canada, 
70% of new mortgages last year were variable rates, and now rates have gone up significantly. I don't, I don't, I'm not a, uh, somebody who's, there's a lot of commentary calling for a major crash in the real estate market. Hey, maybe, I'm not sure. Um, I think mm-hmm. it probably won't be as dramatic as people expect it to be, but I don't think that investors are as confident in real estate as they might have been, you know, two, three years ago. And so you just kind of, through process of elimination, where will they look next? And, you know, uh, no surprise, gold has been rocketing over the last few weeks as a consequence and um, just hit $2,000 U.S. dollars uh, this morning, which is no surprise to me when you look at the macro forces and how everyone's looking for a bit of safety right now. Right. We're talking to Jay Martin, the CEO of Cambridge House and the host of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference at the Vancouver Convention Center. You can go to cambridgehouse.com for ticket information. Just Google VRIC. And uh, speaking of gold, I guess there'll be a lot of talk about other minerals as well, because uh, it seems like uh, with, uh, I I mean, I'm, I'm a bit... I don't really know a lot about this, but I'm guessing with electric cars and the new kinds of energy, there are there are probably a lot of new minerals that people don't even know about that are going to be very important. Yeah, and we cover those extensively because you're absolutely right, right? And the energy trade is, is really fascinating because there's a lot of conversation about the future of solar and the future of wind and then you know uh, the resurgence of natural gas and potential future of, of nuclear and the thing about that is there's a lot of variables within that. You don't know which direction the world's going to go. And if you end up moving towards uh, sort of the environmental renewables like sun and wind, inevitably you still have to store that energy because they're not what you call baseload power, meaning they don't produce power 24 hours a day. So you collect it when you can produce it, then you have to store it for when you need it. You're not knowing the future of the energy trade. I think there's way too many variables to really predict that accurately. The safest bets are in the infrastructure plays. No matter which direction energy goes, we're still going to need infrastructure. We're going to need steel alloys. We're going to need conductivity, right, for electricity to be created. And so I tend to look towards metals like copper, like nickel, because they can't be engineered out of that process. Um, Some of the more unique rare earths like lithium, vanadium, manganese um, in amazing demand right now because they're required in every battery within your smartphone, electric vehicle, laptop, computer. It doesn't matter. Now, the technology behind battery storage is always changing. And so the supply and demand for those can change alongside that. That's typically why I tend to look towards the steadfast hallmark metals like copper, there's simply no better conductor in the world, and, and nickel, it's a requirement in batteries no matter which direction you go. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the base load, sorry, the uh, base metal market is very exciting right now. Yeah, yeah. And it, th- these are the kinds of uh, conversations and uh, seminars you're going to hear at the uh, Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. It is happening January 29th and 30th. Uh, it's dealing with uh, all sorts of things, resource-based, and uh, a lot of different uh, interesting people that uh, you will know. And we will uh, hear when we come back about some of the names that are appearing at the VRIC 
Uh, Christy Clark's going to be there. And that's all when we come back on Vancouver Consumer. We've got more with Jay Martin, the CEO of Cambridge House and the host of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. That's when we come back right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong. And uh, if you are interested in uh, bulletproofing your portfolio, that's a phrase uh, that they use at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. It's happening at the Vancouver Convention Center, January 29th and 30th. Uh, You can go to Eventbrite or just go to CambridgeHouse.com. You can also Google VRIC for ticket information and the host of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference is Jay Martin. He's uh, also somebody you might know from his YouTube channel. Uh, you can uh, find that at the website as well, uh, cambridgehouse.com. So Jay, let's talk about some of the people who are going to be there. There are some familiar names that I think the people listening might know. You have a, quite quite the lineup. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm very excited about this year's agenda. It's arguably the best uh, agenda we built in uh, the company's history. So I'm super excited. Yeah, a couple names that your audience would be familiar with, obviously, the former premier of British Columbia, Christy Clark, and then one of her counterparts, the former premier of Saskatchewan, Brad Wall. And the reason we've invited both of these individuals is because there's an interesting development occurring in the middle of the country mainly between Alberta and Saskatchewan. Both provinces uh, have put forward legislature this year, one being the Alberta Sovereignty Act, the other being the Saskatchewan First Act, which are built to give more power to the provinces in terms of their um, access to international trade. Now, the reason this is significant at a resource investment conference is because if we think back to 2008, the global financial crisis, Canada actually came through that crisis stronger than any other developed nation. And it was a consequence of us leveraging our resource economy and bringing our products to market. And we have that opportunity again today. And so I always love sitting down with the decision makers, our elected leaders, just to understand the psychology behind their decision making. And so uh, Premier Clark and Premier Wall will join me on stage, both one-on-one for a fireside chat. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to squaring off with them and and getting their perspective on the future of Canada's resource economy. Saskatchewan obviously being a bit of a breadbasket laden with oil, natural gas, uranium, agriculture, uh, very rich in the resources that the world needs. And British Columbia being the port that gets uh, gets products to market. So these two provinces are massively influential, and I'm looking forward to sitting down with both of these individuals. Um, some other names that your audience would likely know would be Frank Justra, a legendary entrepreneur uh, throughout Canada, um, you know, founded what is now the largest gold-producing company in the world, being Gold Corp Newmont, um, and very successful inside and outside of the resource business. Also the founder of Lionsgate Films, which has produced probably most of the films that that I've seen. Um, And he's now making massive bets back into the resource sector. And I always pay attention to individuals like Frank, when you've, you know, created billions in wealth for yourself and your shareholders. I want to know what you're doing next. And Frank is very strategic with his timing when he enters the resource market versus when he goes off and does something else like, 
you know, his adventures in the food industry or the film sector. And he's now solely focused back on the natural resource sector for many of the reasons that we discussed in the first half of this interview. Uh, Ross Beatty, another Vancouver entrepreneur who's built 14 companies, all of which have delivered 10x returns to shareholders. I mean, he's like the broken slot machine. And these individuals, again, I want to know where they're putting their cash for the balance of this decade. A lot of the content we create is really geared towards where are the smartest investors that I can get my fingers on allocating their capital for the rest of this decade. Right. I like that concept, the broken slot machine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think people get excited about that. So, so Jay, do you feel like Vancouver or Canada really uh, and British Columbia are, are a good place to be in the coming years in terms of where the economy is headed? Yes, 100%. I think, so here's an example, you know, I felt a little bit, um, insecure about the supply chain uh, over the last few years. And so as a consequence, I have three young kids. My wife and I moved up to a smaller town. We were downtown Vancouver. Now we're up um, in a smaller community. And that just means we have a tighter proximity to all of the goods and services that we need to source, right? There's lots of agriculture in our community. I know uh, the farm quite well, where we buy, you know, a, a quarter cow each year, we buy our pork, our chickens, et cetera, et cetera. And I like being close to the source of the supply chain. Now, Canada is the source of so many important necessities in the global supply chain. So being located here, and I would expand this to say Canada, the U.S. and Mexico are very strategically laden with the resources that the world is unfortunately, I believe, going to be fighting for and I'm talking about energy and, as a consequence, food. I, I have a bit of a bleak outlook. And there's unfortunately going to be some winners and losers when it comes to access to those two things, energy and food, um, energy and agriculture. And it, it is very fortunate to be located in an area that has tons of arable land, very healthy agriculture se- sector, and is a net exporter of energy. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm raising my children in Canada right now. Right. We're talking to Jay Martin. He is the host of the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference at the Vancouver Convention Center. It's coming up January 29th and 30th. Uh, you can go to Eventbrite to get ticket information. Just go to cambridgehouse.com as well, where you can Google VRIC and you can find out uh, exactly what's going on because this is a pretty power packed two days. And I guess it can be a lot of different things for different people because um, obviously some of the themes are, you know, just information about uh, what is happening in the resource market. Where is it headed? And some of the, the, the future proofing you can do to your portfolio, but there's also, uh, it, it seems to me looking at the website and everything, some actual personal stuff about taking control of, not only your investments, but your life and that kind of stuff. And I think it sounds like you kind of take pride in that, the, the sort of personal stuff as well. Yeah, I certainly do. You know, I, I think if we want to get into that, there's, there's a lot of history behind the value of holding hard assets that I believe has been lost on investors, mainly in the West. And we've been sold a story that the stock market always goes up that holding cash is a poor use of cash. I I disagree with that strongly. 
And uh, also, you don't have to look far back in history to see that the stock market, broadly speaking, doesn't always go up. It can actually and has many times in North America gone sideways for 10, 15 years. But when you're in a bull market for so long, you can lose sight of that. I mean, recency bias affects us all. And it's therefore a rational thought to think if the equities market has gone up, generally speaking, for the last 15, 20 years, why would it not continue to do that for the next 15, 20 years? But things do change and cycles do occur. And if you look in the East, for example, many Eastern countries, citizens are encouraged to buy gold and jewelry and store their wealth in gold. Whereas in the West, we're not, we're not, we're far from that narrative. But the reason it resonates with me is because whenever we become dependent on anybody else or other systems, we give up our freedom and our, our sense of direction in this life. And, you know, we can look at systems like the, the pension system right now in a lot of financial trouble and they're not bankrupt, but they're close. And that's terrifying to a lot of people who were sold a narrative that if they put the work in, um, you know, make the contributions that the government's going to take care of them when the time comes. But what if they can't do that? What if we've devalued our currency too much? What if our economy isn't strong enough and the government can't deliver on that promise? What are you left to do? Right. And that's, that's not a comfortable situation that I want to see anybody in. But that occurs when you forfeit your dependence towards somebody else. You're subject to that counterparty risk that the other party might not deliver on what they promised. Now, that's the argument behind precious metals and personal sovereignty. Now, I own physical gold, and it's not because I think the world's heading to the gutter at all. As I said, right. I'm, I'm the opposite of a doom and gloom pundit. I'm, I'm super optimistic on our future. But I want to make sure that I've got a store of wealth with zero counterparty risk it gives me nothing more than a solid night's sleep. And, um, and, you know, there's a handful of directions you go from there. But a great foundation is physical precious metals, which for 5,000 years have retained their value as that store of wealth. And it doesn't mean they're going to for another 5,000 years, but 5,000 years is a pretty good track record. So, you know, worth putting a bit of weight on that. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Jay Martin from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference at the Vancouver Convention Center, January 29th and 30th. And in the few minutes that we have left, I'll ask you two questions. If you can, if you can answer these quickly, it, it, they're sort of big questions. But uh, what keeps you up at night? What are you afraid of? And also, what are you optimistic about? Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> um, what keeps me up at night? Uh, my three kids. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. They're, they're, <laughs> they're two, four, and six. But you can, you can uh, take that in a variety of directions. Yes, they do literally keep me up at night. And as a father, I stay up at night worrying about various things at any given time. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, and there's amazing volatility, as you know, in owning your own business. And so there's there's power in controlling your destiny, but fragility as well. And so as the steward of my, my three children, I, I, I stress about that and obsess over our um, vulnerability if I see any anywhere. And, uh, you know, not to, to um, beat a dead horse, but that, that is, you know, the core reason that I like physical metal in my possession uh, right. because I just feel like it's the, it's the moat around whatever kind of castle we might be trying to build. And it's important to build the moat first before you go ahead and assemble your castle. What I'm optimistic about, you know, I, I think that we are going to enter uh, eventually a world of energy abundance. 
um, the key ingredient to, that points to and leads human progress has been cheap energy. And that's why over the last 200 years, human progress has accelerated far faster than the previous 500 and the previous 1,000. And it's because of our access to cheap energy, starting with steam engine, with coal, um, the 1800s access to the oil market at scale. And, um, I, you know, there's, there's always a problem with the energy source. If you dial back, you know, 400 years to the streets of London, you know, there was horse manure crises that people were expecting would cause the, the downfall of urban civilizations because there were thousands of horses and there was no waste removal process. And so when Henry Ford delivered on a scalable automobile, it was actually looked at as an environmentally friendly solution to an environmental crisis. And, That's you know, you take anything... Yeah, so we've seen this before. And, you know, yes, we're facing some some um, problems with the way we have, um, well, with our energy uh, industry right now. But I believe we're going to solve them. And, and um, you know, what I'm excited about is I think this, this decade will be tough. I'm not – I don't yeah. want to soften that at all. Out of any crisis comes some of the most innovative businesses, products, and services, and concepts – that we've seen in our human history. And so, like I said, I'm I'm long human ingenuity. And that's why you need the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. Get that information. It's at the Vancouver Convention Center. Uh, Thank you for talking to us, Jay. Really appreciate it. Interesting stuff. My pleasure. All right. Jay Martin from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference at the Vancouver Convention Center. It's January 29th and 30th. Go to uh, cambridgehouse.com. You can Google VRIC for all the ticket information. I'm Martin Strong. This is Vancouver Consumer. And when we come back, how'd you like to find a solid gold beer can in your next six pack? That happened to a few people in the UK and they still weren't happy about it. I've got that story when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. This is Martin Strong. And when you think about brands promoting their products, the classic Willy Wonka golden ticket is kind of a classic promotional idea. They hide a special prize in their packaging and some lucky winner gets something great. So when the Brewdog Beer Company in the UK announced that they would be including 50 gold beer cans at random in their packs of beer, it seemed like a great idea. A solid gold can of beer. The problem was in the word solid. Most of the advertising just said a gold can. But in a few tweets that were sent out by the CEO of Brewdog, it said solid gold can. It turns out the 50 beer cans were not solid gold. They were made mostly of brass and only plated with gold. It's a big difference. It's estimated that a solid gold beer can would be worth about $600,000 Canadian because that's a lot of gold. The gold plated can still worth about $25,000. Pretty good, but no 600 grand. So now that CEO and the co-founder of BrewDog, James Watt, feels pretty bad about his tweets. He has admitted that this whole thing has made his company look, in his words, dishonest and disingenuous. So he paid out a half a million pounds out of his own pocket. That works out to more than 800,000 Canadian dollars. This is all after a number of winners 
contacted the Advertising Standards Authority, which regulates advertising in the UK, and complained that the solid gold claim was misleading. The ASA looked into it and found that the false claim appeared in three of 50 promotional tweets. Well, that caused a media uproar, and Watts says it was a silly mistake and he should have been much more careful. So he contacted all 50 of the winners to offer to buy back the cans if they wanted. And he now owns 40 of the cans, and all in all, it cost him £470,000. Well over two and a half years of his salary, according to him. Watt and his partner, Martin Dickey, started the Brew Dog Company back in 2007 in Scotland when they were both in their 20s. And it has since gone multinational with uh, not only the brewery, but also 78 bars around the world. And this recent golden can controversy is not the first time BrewDog has been getting flack for the way it markets its beer. Back in 2016, BrewDog began selling an IPA in North America called Elvis Juice. It was a grapefruit and blood orange IPA. Sounds delicious, but not to the lawyers representing the estate of Elvis Presley. Not surprisingly, they weren't too happy about it. They sent a letter to Watt and Dickey uh, saying that uh, they couldn't do it. So what did these two dudes do? They legally changed their names to Elvis, switching up their email addresses, driver's licenses, and more. And they sent the Elvis estate a letter. It went like this, quote, Dear Big Boss Man, we are sorry that you have suspicious minds and are all shook up about our new beer. We are kind of caught in a trap. So in an effort to patch it up and highlight our burning love, we have both changed our names to Elvis. Could you please now pay us a license fee for using our name in all of your music? Love, Elvis. Also consider... Uh, that these guys have Scottish accents. So that would have added something to that letter as well. Uh, They continue to wrangle in court, though. Uh, This past September, BrewDog just lost a big decision with the court saying they'll have to change the name of Elvis Juice if they want to sell it in Europe. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. Coming up, it's the consumer news from the past week, including some new nightmares for air travelers happened in the States, but it affected airports in Canada as well. I've got that story and much more when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.